Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom didn't know anyone who had birthed at home, but after a less than ideal first birth, she knew she wanted to birth at home without medical assistance. This is a beautiful story of a mother staking her claim, doing the work, and learning how to fully trust birth, herself, and her child. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It, um, it's interesting for me to come on here because I haven't really told anybody. I feel like I've done something so special and haven't really told my story to anyone. So I've listened to a billion, Whoa. A billion of these podcasts, but um, I haven't actually told my story to anyone in my real life, aside from like my very close friend. Um, I guess, well, there wasn't really much talk about pregnancy and birth my whole life, my one big memory of birth was when my mom uh, had my brother in my grandmom's bed in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania during the 1996 blizzard. And it was on the news, like a news company or like a news station came into my grandma's house and we got to be on the news. And that was like my only experience with birth really that I remember when it was not really talked about. And so I guess I left with home birth being like a newsworthy thing to do, but it was really, I guess. Um, That's cute. And then I met Ryan freshman year of college. So I was 18, he was 19. And uh, I sounds crazy, but like, I know we're going to be together forever. Like we just have that kind of connection. And so we knew we were going to have kids one day. So eight years into our relationship, I was 26 and we had got done moving around. We were in another country for a while and in another state. And we finally made it back to PA and decided it was time to start having babies. So Theo, our firstborn, he was consciously conceived. I just remember like sex being different. Like there was this different energy trying to conceive a baby. It was like so different. Um, Mm. And then I hadn't heard of free birth at that point. I just kind of... So I did get pregnant the first time that we tried. And I started thinking about how I wanted to birth the baby. The default was the hospital. I don't know anyone who's had a home birth, but... I've always had a slight, I've always had like a very strong intuitive voice inside me. Like the only example I can think of with, um, with this type of stuff is when I was in high school and all my friends were on birth control and I just wouldn't do it. And I couldn't tell anybody why, I, but I just knew hundred percent it would never happen. I would never consider it. And I didn't, had no idea why I could not logically tell you why now I can, but at the time, 10, 10 plus years ago, I just listened to that voice that was like, no, this isn't for you. So when I was pregnant with Theo, I had that same voice telling me like, why would you birth in a hospital? Like there, that's where sick people go. Like, why don't you want something better? So I started researching online and I saw birth centers and it seemed great. Like um, there was one down the street from my apartment that was like the first accredited birth center in Pennsylvania or something like that. Like they really marketed their home birth feel. And they were like, don't fall for birth centers in hospitals and not real birth centers. Like we're the real deal. Or maybe like some articles were saying, watch out for birth center. I don't know if like the 
person I went to was saying that, but um, I decided to do my prenatal care there. So um, I was a pretty like good girl about all of it. I went to the appointments when I was expected to. We did the birth center classes that they required us to do. Uh, I didn't get any ultrasounds because at some point during that pregnancy, there was a girl I followed on Instagram who I st- had started following like years before because she did a lot of yoga that I liked. And I'm a yoga instructor. I'm just like, I like to watch her yoga. So then she had kids and started talking about pregnancy. And she came out with a post one time about all the harms of ultrasound. And I was just like kind of taken aback by it because I had literally called the week before to book my ultrasound. The birth center didn't even tell me to do it. I just wanted to go get it so I could tell our families that we were pregnant. I wanted to like have the photos ready and didn't think anything of it. Um, so I saw her post and read her, her little blog post about it. And then I started doing my own research and it just kind of... Confer- it was kind of hard. I had to dig to like see anything other than mainstream information mm-hmm. or what's expected. Um, but I did read it all and I just it just confirmed my truth that I already felt. And I just, you know, when you sit with something and you just know that it's the right move for you, I was like, I know I'm not going to get any ultrasounds. Like my mom didn't get any, her mom didn't get any, her mom didn't get any. So why am I getting them? Mm. And why wasn't I, why didn't I think about this anyway? So her post kind of led me down a different path. Um, The birth center employees were like the first lady I met with was a lady named Moon. And I was like, wow, they are super alternative. Like this is going to be so home birthy and crunchy. And as soon as I didn't comply and I was like, I don't want to birth, I don't want to ultrasound. It was like, a, they turned their other face and they were like, well, what do you mean? Why? Like, well, what do you, why aren't you getting it? Explain yourself. And um, I kept a smile. I was like, you know, my mom didn't have any, her mom didn't. I don't know what, how they can improve my experience. I know that they don't improve outcomes statistically, so I just don't see the point. And uh, I just felt like I was like the bad child all of a sudden or something. Like they, they didn't like me as much, mm. but they allowed me to still birth there, not getting any ultrasounds. So um, I continued through the regular prenatal care other than that. And then towards the end, I got tested for GBS. Or actually, they didn't even test me for it. It was in my urine. So they told me automatically I'm going to get antibiotics because it was in my urine. And um, then I kind of dove into research over that. And that caused me like a lot of stress towards the end of my pregnancy. And I remember like asking around um, different women that I knew who had had kids. And I was like, did you test positive for this? And a lot of them didn't even know. They were like, oh, yeah, I think I did have antibiotics during my birth. I'm not sure. Like a lot, most of them don't remember, like didn't even know what was in their what was mm-hmm. being pumped into them or whatever. So that wasn't. Well, and most women are on drugs. You know, most women are on an epidural, so they're on narcotics and it does affect your memory. Yeah. You know, so it's crazy. That wasn't much help kind of asking around to women I knew in real life. And um, when I mm-hmm. went online, it was a mixed camp. Like it was sort of like I, the numbers to me, it didn't warrant me like, however many babies now are being born on antibiotics, I feel like it's not good. And at the time, I just wasn't, I guess, strong enough, confident enough in my convictions to say no. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. Plus they gave me this paper that was like, if I don't get the antibiotics, I know my baby will die. I might die. So I was just like, uh, I'll just comply mm-hmm. with it. So gross. Right. That's some woman-centered yeah. care. So, huh? <laughs> I just said, yes, they could give me the antibiotics. Um, and that was kind of like the last stage before I had him. I assumed he was going to be late just because of like who I am as a person, but he ended up coming early. So we had a wedding that we went to on a Saturday night and then we got home around midnight. And then I'd say like 4am, I started having some mild cramping and it wasn't really painful, but I couldn't sleep through it. So I was waking up, I was sleeping in between the cramps and, um, I guess like a few hours in, I realized this probably is labor and I wasn't really able to eat much. I didn't even drink much, um, that whole day. So that was a Saturday night. And then into Sunday, I ended up coming into my office to get some like last minute things done. If it was going to be labor, I just wanted to like make sure things were fine. So I was running around that day. didn't really eat or drink anything. And as I had like the early labor contractions, I would just kind of sit there and they were bearable. Uh, and then by like 7 PM that Sunday night, they got pretty intense. 
And I was still in my apartment. Um, Ryan had ordered pizza, which like infuriated me. Like the smell of it was awful. And I like yelled at him to get it out of the apartment. And then I started throwing up and I got nervous. I never heard of throwing up during labor. So that panicked me. And I was like, call the midwife. Something's wrong. I'm throwing up. Um, so he called her and she was like, all right, I'll meet you at the birth center in an hour or something. So we ended up going there. Um, I couldn't really like talk in between the contractions at that point. I just remember before we left, I had a moment of just sitting in my bedroom, lights off. I was laying there and that was my last memory of like having any like sense of peace during my labor. It was, I wish I had just stayed there, but at the time it wouldn't even have crossed my mind to stay there to birth my baby. I wasn't there yet. And they tried to get me to eat a popsicle and I, I did try, but it was just, for some reason I just couldn't. Um, immediately, once they got the room ready, they gave me a cervical check and the lady said that I was only four centimeters dilated and I don't remember how many have faced or whatever, but she was like, there's protein in your urine already, which means that you're really dehydrated and depleted. Have you drank anything? Have you eaten anything? And I told her no. So she's like, all right, well, you can, you can go home and keep laboring until you're more dilated or you can stay here, try and get some sleep. So I was not going home at that point. I just wanted... I already felt so defeated, like just from not having eaten or drank anything all day and to be told that I was only four centimeters or whatever. Um, so I just decided to stay there. And then throughout the night, um, I was just... They did turn the lights off and leave. So it was just me and Ryan in the bedroom laying there. And at one point they came in and they let me get in the tub. I I don't know what time it was, but I stayed in the tub for a while and just kind of labored alone. And Ryan sat in the doorway. I wish he would have just went to sleep. Like I didn't want anyone in my space. I felt bad. I was really, really bitchy to him during my labor. I kept trying to help and I wouldn't let him touch me. And like, he was just trying to support me and I just couldn't. I was kind of just like desperate for... I would let them help me because in my head, like I could trust them. They've seen birth before. Like they know what they're doing. I couldn't take the risk of him like touching me and making it worse. So I just kept telling him, no, like don't come near. So at one point after I got out of the tub or after laboring in the tub for a little bit, I felt like I had to poop. So I got up out of the tub and I kept sitting on the toilet, going back to the tub and doing that over and over again. And um, the lady gave me another check and she was like, oh, you're, you're more dilated now. We can probably start pushing. So that began my two, two, two plus hours of pushing. Um, yeah, that was interesting because I thought I was going to give... I, ha- I had my mindset on giving birth in like on hands and knees position. And I, I did not like that position when the time came. It did not feel good. So I laid on my back and it was better. but still not good. Eventually I got to the birthing stool that they had and that felt the best. So I kind of just stayed there. Um, and at this point it was morning. So it was Monday morning. So I'm like 25, 26 hours in and, um, I'm falling asleep in between the contractions. So I'm literally slumped over on the bed and then this sensation will come and I'm back up and just trying to like, I'm completely delirious. Like I have no idea what's going on. And, uh, when I was pushing, I feel like I'm forgetting things. Like I wrote his birth story down, but it all like left my mind immediately after it happened. Um, all I remember is when I was on my hands and knees, my water broke and it, like across the room violently. And I didn't know what was happening. And I just remember the midwife being like, oh, clear, good, like totally clinical. And I was like, well, what happened? She's like, oh, your water broke. So not long after that was when I got on the birthing stool and I started to feel the ring of fire, which is the most accurate name for anything on the planet. It was, it just literally felt like my vagina was on fire and I would push him. I would push every ounce of energy I had. I would try and push him out and I could feel him going down. And as soon as I stopped, he'd go right back up and I could feel him coming down, going right back up every time I stopped. And I got to a point I remember where I was just like, transfer me, like, give me the C-section. I can't, he's not going to fit. Like I can feel that he is too big to come out. Like he's not, this isn't going to work. I completely gave up. And, um, I do remember though, trying not to fall asleep. Cause I didn't, something in me was like, don't fall asleep. Cause then they'll, they will transfer you. Like they'll think something's wrong with you. So, so out loud, I was saying like, I can't do this, take me somewhere. But inside there was this voice that was like, no fight. Like you have to stay awake. You can do this. And then I heard them saying, uh, 
we have to give her more antibiotics. It's been almost four hours. So if she if he's not out in 15 minutes, give her more. And I was like, oh shit, I got to get him out in 15 minutes. And then I felt rushed and I felt like I had to meet this time limit. So I got this new wave of energy and I just kept um, like trying to force him out of my body with like every ounce of energy I had. And yeah, my vagina felt like it was on fire. Um, eventually one of the midwives was like, oh, he's got hair. And her saying that, I was like, oh my God, he is almost out. Like his head's right there. So again, like second wind, I just kept pushing. And then, so I think there were three ladies in there. And the lady on the ground to my left said something about injecting me with something which will help with something. Like I couldn't even tell you what what exactly she said. I was completely delirious. I was in no position to like advocate for myself or even ask her what she was saying. And uh, Anyway, later the baby came out, his head came out and then his body came out like in the same two seconds. It wasn't like a slow descent once he was actually out. She caught him, the same lady, the other lady, not the injection lady, the other lady caught him and uh, immediately gave him to me, put him on my chest. And I just remember like that being the most intense feeling of relief I've ever felt in my entire life. Like I, that is like the epitome of relief still to this day, that moment. And just walking away with him, just being like, oh my God, oh my God. I just kept saying, oh my God. So I sat down with him on the bed and I think... I think they just turned the lights off and left us in there for like an hour. They were big on the golden hour. They wanted, they talked about that a lot during the classes. Um, I think they came back after the hour to like weigh him and stuff like that. So I guess it was nice to have that hour. I actually like don't remember what that hour was like. I literally might've slept the whole time. But um, once they were back, they weighed him and measured him and did whatever they do. Uh, and then it was later that I was reading my birth report. I, I did end up getting the second round of antibiotics, by the way. I didn't make their 15-minute time frame. So um, he was born on antibiotics. And I saw on the birth report later that they had given me Pitocin. I guess that's what the injection lady was saying, that she was going to give me Pitocin. Um, I, don't, I still don't know why. I think... Actually, I do know why, because when I, I was pregnant the second time, when I went back, I asked them, why'd you do that? And they were like, oh, it's just a preventative thing. Like, it's routine. So... Yeah. The why is that they do it to everybody. Yeah. So I thought there was a specific reason why they were giving it to me, but there wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. And that reminds me, actually, I guess the part of it is to help, or I guess the reason for it is to help get the placenta out. Yeah. And this is what I remember. The lady coming back in, this was before the golden hour. So they didn't leave right away. She uh, was like violently pushing on my stomach. And it was almost, it was like worse than labor. It was like awful pain. I was like screaming. And I'm a pretty quiet person and pain. Like, um, actually when I was in the tub, now these details are coming back to me and I was in the tub laboring. I remember another woman coming in. I could hear her through the wall, this, the room next to us. And she was screaming, cursing, freaking out, but she was in and out and she just left. I, I think it was her second baby. They said, or maybe they just said that to make me feel better, but I'm like very quiet in pain. I just kind of breathe and count in my head and I'm not a loud person, but she, when she was pushing on my stomach, I was actually crying out in pain. And I was like, why? why are you doing this? She, I think she told me before, she's like, I just have to push this. I think she said something about clots. Like, we don't want you to have any blood, blood clots or something. So I have to do this. And um, the placenta came out. So they kind of whisked it away. They tried to get it right out. And Brian was like, wait, Ashley, do you want to see your placenta? And I was just like, I guess, like, sure. And I just remember, I have no idea. I, don't, I didn't take a picture. I wish I did. Um, I think I just glanced at it and let, let them take it wherever they take it. Um, but yeah, she gave me the, I think it's a fundal massage, right? She gave me the fundal it's massage. It was awful. It's a pretty bullshit term. It's, yeah. you know, fundal abuse. Definitely more accurate. It was awful. Yeah. So uh, they got the... And, and like how infantilizing that there's something that they have to do to you to save you and protect you while you're screaming out no. Mm -hmm. Like as if that's true. It's so... yeah so gross it was twisted for sure but again i think they do that to everybody like that's just the, mm -hmm. that's, oh yeah yeah for sure so you so you go home and you have this new baby and how do you how do you like think on your birth how does that experience land for you um i thought it wasn't bad because 
I imagine in my head, it was like, I don't want my baby to have be around bright lights and loud noises. And mm-hmm. the birth center, when we walked out into the hallway, nobody was there. Like there was a little courtyard that my family, like we let our families come visit us at the birth center before we left. We had to stay 12 hours because I was GBS positive and everybody else could leave within four hours, but we had to stay longer to make sure, I guess they wanted to make sure the baby wasn't, what it didn't colonize with the baby and cause an infection or something. So, um, we stayed the longest. Which if antibiotics worked, why would, exactly. why would that be a concern? Yeah. Right. Um, so we stayed the 12 hours. And before we left, one of the ladies kept trying to like tell me not to shake my baby with this pamphlet. And I was falling asleep. And she was like getting angry that I was falling asleep. And I was like, I can't Whoa. do this right now. I know I'm not going to shake my baby. Like I Thanks for the pamphlet. So we kind of left on bad terms. But other than that, I hadn't slept in two days. I hadn't eaten anything like I was, I just couldn't do it anymore with like the stuff that they're required to do. That was the only thing I remember leaving with like a sour taste in my mouth was the lady kept trying to tell me not to shake my baby when I couldn't stay awake. Other than that, I thought it was fine. Like I thought um, it wasn't in a loud place and people like doctors everywhere. I was like, we, I had a great experience. Um, and it wasn't until I started listening to it and I still hadn't heard of free birth or anything. I started when I was on maternity leave. Um, I had a lot of time home alone with the baby and Ryan was still working. So I was listening to podcasts all day and I was listening to the Indie Birth podcast. That same yoga girl I found on Instagram, I think, put me onto the Indie Birth podcast. So um, I started listening to to Marin and she had an episode about how birth center is like a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And a lot of the stuff now that I look back on in my experience there. Yeah, I love that episode. It's so good. It's, it's just so accurate. Like everything. Uh-huh. If you're really sold on home birth as an idea, like, like, but you're really too scared to do it, like the birth center will really market that to you. Like they'll make you feel like that's what you're getting. Now that I've had a free birth, I know it's worlds away from what it really should be like. And I started to you know, when you already have something you know inside you is true and you start to hear it said out loud by people, it's uh-huh. like, it automatically resonates. And the thing she was saying, I was like, that is so true. And I just could like feel myself awakening to all these, you know. Well, yeah. And that takes me back to the start of our conversation that like, what if there's these women that casually know you that have free birth, like brewing inside of them or home birth brewing inside of them. And then they meet someone amazing like you who's done it. Like, that's why we share our stories, yeah. you know, not because someone might disagree who gives a shit. It's that there's women walking around with like this brewing, like, could I birth at home? Like, what what would that be like? Do I know anyone who's done that? And then boom, in comes Ashley, who's like, oh yeah, I just stayed home in free birth. It was great. Yeah. And it's like explosion, you know? Yeah, it's so true. And I do feel an obligation to be better at that because of the women who... And I know it's not easy to walk the walk that you walk or Maren walks or any of the girls um who i've learned from who online or whatever yeah you're like a certain i i feel like you've gotten so much you've been attacked so much and you've i don't know i just feel like you walk in fire and don't care like i think it's not as easy for everybody but it would be nice it really is as easy as you make it like you are in charge of deciding how you respond to it so i'm not acting like i like it But, you know, or anything like weird like that, but it really is as easy or as hard as you make it because you're, it's your, it's your business, how you receive it and how you perceive it. And if you take it personal and it's, it's a real, it's a real spiritual practice to stand in the fire and, and practice these tools and not take it personal. And then when you do like get up on the horse and be, you know, like what Brene Brown says, like be in the be in the arena getting your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess my point is just that I do think it's like when you zoom out, it's harder for our spirits to stay complicit in a system that wants you to be small and quiet than to like know that you're committed to a different a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Well, if it weren't for hearing those podcasts, I think I know I definitely would have gone down probably the same abusive path with my second baby, um, you know, in sort of bliss of not knowing that there's a better option. So I kept listening to her podcasts. Um, 
she had a lot about prenatal care and it, it just made me rethink all mm-hmm. of pregnancy and birth as not a compartmentalized event in my life, but how I live is how I'm going to birth and how I live is how I'm going to be pregnant. What my prenatal care won't be any different from like, you know, the healthy choices I make when I'm not pregnant. So I just, everything I thought I knew was just flipped on its head. And I kind of started from like a new slate with the way I approached pregnancy and birth. And um, there was no going back from that. Like I can never unknow things that have, that my eyes have opened up to. So, um, so Theo's a few months old at that point. Um, I have to go back to work when he's three, three, three months old or so, but we live a block away. So I kept, I run home like 50 times a day to breastfeed him. Like he never had a bottle and Ryan stopped working at that point. So he's home with him. And that part, like the running back and forth part was stressful because I had meetings with people, but I needed to make sure that I was home for him. But for the most part, like motherhood was great. Like I, he slept in our bed with us. Uh, I kind of just kept my baby close whenever I could. And it wasn't difficult or it wasn't like this really difficult thing that everyone made it out to be like motherhood Mm -hmm. sucks. And I kind of, I've been having the best time with motherhood. Um, Optimal, I guess, would be able to like stay home with my babies. And when they're all older, be able to like reenter work the workforce without feeling like I've fallen behind or something like that. Mm -hmm. But for the time being, we're making it work because breastfeeding is like not something I'm willing to compromise on. So if I have a job that, isn't going to allow me to do it. I'm, I'm going to back, move back in with my parents. They're like, we're going to do something. Cause, um, there's a girl named Chantel quick who came out with an article again, changed my life. I know Chantel. She's a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Like I, her brain to me is just like one of the treasures of the universe. Oh yeah. She's great. great. She came out with an article about, um, basically the thought of it was like, why don't we treat motherhood like an important job? Like everything else. Like, why don't we prioritize raising our next generation over like, why are so many women going back to the nine to five when their kids are six weeks old and nobody cares. So, so many things have changed. So many things I thought I knew in my early twenties, like have just been flipped on their heads since I've started a family. Like my idea of feminism, I don't think now today's feminism is actually liberating to women at all. Like the, the idea that, you know, we want to, we hate men, but we want to be men. Like we want to go right back into the workforce, you know, uh-huh. taking, staying home and keeping a happy family and like taking care of a home. That's not valuable. Like, we, let's just... well, that's, this is, this is feminism inside of patriarchy, right? So it, there, it's still so, um, it's still so patriarchal, yeah. you know, this, this idea, yeah, of like having, and the pressures, right? Of like, like you just said, of have like not falling behind in your, patriarchal work system that doesn't allow for motherhood and that doesn't support breastfeeding and that doesn't give, you know, years of maternity leave with job security. Like it's, it's, it's still really, really, really quite misogynistic, even though at the same time we are where we are and we do need women to have choices, but those choices are still about trying to survive in a really misogynistic environment. So yeah. It's complex. Yeah, it really is. Um, so yeah, Chantel was basically saying in the article, uh, motherhood is a job. Like if you want to succeed at your corporate job, you should want to succeed at motherhood too. Like this is, um, if our, if not the most important job in the world, you know, we should be putting women in the best position to succeed at that and feel supported. And then maybe, you know, our postpartum depression rates wouldn't be through the roof. It's so clear when you say these things out loud, why so many women are depressed, like early in motherhood, not just from traumatic births, but their motherhood experience is completely, you know, uh, what's the word? Like sabotage from the beginning. So yeah, I just kind of started to wake up to all these concepts as he was a few months old. Um, and then going into my pregnancy with her, I did not plan to get pregnant. I was doing this really lazy fertility awareness method uh, thing with Ryan where I was using an app that uh, tracked my period and it would estimate when I was going to be ovulating based on that. And and just to be clear, that's not fertility awareness, no, right? Like it's not even that's just <laughs> yeah, that's just using an app and putting your period in, which is all, which is not able to provide like actual individualized information. It's you really would have to be, yeah. 
temping and charting. I, yeah. I didn't. I never tested my cervical fluids. I never like took my temperature. It was really not fertility awareness method. But in my mind, I was like, it's safe enough. I don't want to go back to the pullout days. I'm like the, I'm not, mm-hmm. my condoms are gross. I was just like, let's just do this. You know, we're already parents. It's probably like 90%. We're good. But I was planning... <laughs> The reason I cared to not get pregnant is because we were planning like a love celebration, very similar to a wedding. Just like, I don't feel the need to celebrate legal marriage. So it was just like a, I I never had the balls to do it, but I was just like, all right, people know I'm weird at this point. Like, I'm just going to invite all my friends and family and have this big, this big love celebration that summer of 2019. And then I got pregnant in February, which is funny because we literally had sex like twice that whole month. And of course that's the month that like we get pregnant. So uh, I had like work trips that month. We were so busy. Then my period's late in the beginning in March. And I'm like, there's, it's not a possibility. Like this month of all months is definitely not the month that I got pregnant. But, and I had planned this next pregnancy to not even take a pregnancy test to really just like be in my body and feel it. And then I was like, no, this can't be happening. So I went to CVS day five of my late period, um, got a pregnancy test. It was positive, And I just remember feeling disappointed like I just wasn't Mm. happy about it Ryan immediately was happy because he doesn't give a shit about the love ceremony he's just like doing it for me and I was like all right here we go I guess so um and I had stress around being pregnant because I heard that it dries your milk supply and I didn't think Theo was ready for that I didn't he was um a year and like three months old at the time that I got pregnant and I was like well shit what if my milk dries up right away and that gave me like a lot of stress um I just didn't I wouldn't have planned to do that to him so early, basically. So um, that happened. And I kind of did the math on her due date and figured she would be born beginning of November. So I remember just thinking like, all right, how am I going to maneuver this? Like, I know I don't want another birth center baby. I know I'm going to free birth this baby, but I hadn't decided yet how much I was going to engage with the system or if I was just going to do my prenatal care through the birth center. And then um, if I if I was at home and I got to in my own head about it, at least I could go there and not to the hospital. So tell me about, you said that you already knew you were going to free birth this baby. So do you remember like when you realized that? It sounds like it was even before you were pregnant with Octavia. Tell yeah. me about like realizing that that's what you were going to do. I actually realized it when over my maternity leave when I had just had Theo. So I first heard of free birth. Um, actually right before I had him, that same girl, it always comes back. Her name, her name on Instagram is being.selene if anyone wants to follow her. But um, she had just had a free birth at the end of August of 2017 or like right before Theo was born. And I was just like, whoa, she had the baby by herself at home. Like there was nobody there. Um, I was just like, I don't know. Like maybe that's a little too much. Like, I don't know if I could do that. It wasn't, I, when I first saw it, I was just like, that's not for me. Like that seems a little crazy. And then when I, after I had Theo, I started listening to podcasts and I started reading more. And then I found your podcast and then listening to stories of other women who had free birth just solidified it. And I was just like, this isn't crazy. This is something in me was already telling me, like drawing me towards this. This is what I need to do. And then hearing the stories of other women just solidified like this isn't a crazy choice and um this is really like my truth this is when I sit with the possibility of me free birthing it feels right to me and I just kind of knew because of that so it was actually before I even like went back to work Theo was only a few months old and did Ryan skip a beat or was he like all in he definitely skipped a beat um we didn't talk much about it until I was actually pregnant again and I know that he wasn't like gung-ho about it. He had a lot of questions and that's where the course that you guys had, we bought the course and um, it's just like extremely comprehensive. I'm like still not all the way through it, but it, I did want to know about um, a lot of like red flags that could happen, although super rare if I'm putting myself in a good situation. I knew it would make him feel better. Like, okay, if core prolapse so rare but if it happens here's what we do hands and knees butt up in the air like he felt better being prepared he i guess there's a pressure on him because if he was the only one home and something went wrong and he didn't have any idea how to respond or what to do he felt like he was the one that killed our baby or something he never said that but i feel like that's where his hesitation came from and i told him 
I don't want you or need you to do anything. Here, listen to this course with me. We um, we listen to a lot of the videos together. And if he can say I'm passionate about something, he's never really fought me on it. Like I didn't feel any resistance from him once I was like, here's what I'm doing. You can listen to these resources if you want to feel better about it. He listened to the resources and he, I think he felt better about it. But he also probably knew I was going to do it regardless. And he just decided to have my back instead of making it a problem. <laughs> so um, he initially wanted to know more. We bought the course, he knew more. And then it wasn't, we never really had another debate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, when you were organizing around your prenatal care and who's going to be there, tell me a little bit about, um, yeah, just like what that pregnancy looked like. And so I didn't go for an appointment. I wasn't, I remember posting in the private membership, uh, a question. I was like, how, what do you guys think? Like, should I do some, like a, an appointment or two through the birth center? Because for work, I needed somebody to sign off that I was pregnant, like some, some doctor to confirm to my work that I was pregnant so that I could get paid maternity leave. And um, I was like, should I just go to the birth center? And then that way I'm like on their books. If I get in my head at home, I can still go there into the hospital. And somebody just like blunt as hell, they were like, that sounds like bullshit. Like, why don't you just, if you're going to do this, do it all the way and like be confident in your choice. And I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. So I did end up at 28 weeks. I tried to go in, just get them to sign the form and I wouldn't have gone back. I didn't go back. But it was funny. So like that experience at the birth center, I feel like is worth telling. So it was like, I was 28 weeks in with Octavia and I made my appointment. Um, They were confused why this was my first time coming in. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, I didn't feel the need to. Like, I'm I'm not going to do any ultrasounds again. And I don't feel like... They're like, all right, well, you're going to do the gestational diabetes test right now. You're going to do the... uh, (laughs) They had like four tests they wanted me to do immediately. And... I was like, uh, no, I'm actually not going to do any of those either. I was like, I'll do the blood one. I don't mind having my blood drawn, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to drink that stuff. And I'm not going to, whatever else they wanted me to do. I was like, no. And so the lady leaves and uh, she comes back with like the owner of the birth center, whoever the lady, the head honcho lady is. And she's like, you can't, you can't uh, turn these things down if you want to birth. And I was like, well, do you want to know where I'm coming from? Like, are we going to have a conversation? Do you care to converse with me or no? And she was like, um, you know, your decision, your decisions, but why don't you just have a home birth? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't can't afford a midwife. And, um, really at that appointment, I wanted them to sign the paper and I wanted to talk to one of them to see if there could just be a woman I could call if I had questions during my home birth. Like if I could just have a relationship with one of their midwives where I could just call them if I had a question, like if they could, just be my community, like my real life community or something, even if I'm not using them to birth there. And the conversation never went there because um, they wanted me to do a, they wanted me to do a pap smear or something. They wanted me to do all kinds of things. And uh, the lady, before she brought that honcho in, she was like, uh, well, I have to do this test and this test. And she uh, wanted to do the Doppler. And I was like, no, I'm not doing Doppler. So she got the fetoscope and she was like, trying forever to hear the heartbeat. And I was like, oh, she really does care. Because we were having a conversation for a while about how I wasn't going to do all these things. And I could see her getting kind of flustered. But then when she was using the fetoscope, she was trying really hard. And I was like, you know what? Maybe she does like woman to woman care about me. Like she wants me to hear my baby's heartbeat. Um, Maybe she does care. And then we went back to the desk and she was even more flustered. She was like, I don't know what to write down for heartbeat now. And I was just like, holy shit, Like I need to get out of here. So she brought the, um, she was just, the whole time she was just frustrated because she needed to write down numbers on her form. And she exactly. So uh, she brought the head lady in and she was just like, have a home birth. And I was like, I don't know, I can't afford my life. So I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping one Damn, time. dude, it's so crazy. Yeah. And she was straight up. Like, she, I, I'm not accusing them of lying or anything that, or trying to be acting or anything because she was just like we need to keep a relationship with the hospital so we have to abide by these rules if you don't want to abide by the rules you can't birth here some midwifery huh yeah i was like so you work for the state not women but that's fine Mm -hmm. um so that was my one and only appointment there they did end up signing my form confirming i was pregnant confirming my due date so i got my paid paternity leave (laughs) um but i never went back there uh never the lady the head honcho lady gave me her name and number and she was like think about it call me back if you want to keep coming here, if you have any more questions, whatever. So I never called her. Uh, so 
went home. The rest of my pregnancy was like very boring. Both my pregnancies were super boring. Uh, around, so she was due technically November 4th. She didn't end up coming until 41 weeks and four days. And at that point I had, I had told too many people my due date at that point by accident. So everyone was like bothering me. They're like, well, what do you mean? It's almost two weeks. Don't you think she's going to be born or like the baby's going to be stillborn by now? And I'm like, what? No, I I know this, the numbers on that. It goes from like four and every thousand to like six and every thousand or something, every 10,000 or something. But you know, if you read it, that's a 50% increase. You get like super scared when it's really still so minimal and so rare that that would happen. Um, I still felt no fear about birth. Even when I was pregnant with Theo, I felt no fear about birth. People would ask me um, if I was scared. And I was like, no, I genuinely was never scared of birth. And even after I had, you know, Theo's birth was not bliss. It wasn't euphoric or anything. It hurt a lot. And I remember a lot of those sensations. Some of them I don't, but I remember it wasn't fun. Um, I still wasn't scared of birth. I still had this exciting feeling about going into birth. So, so with Octavia, uh, 41 weeks, four days, around 6 a.m. one morning, I started feeling kind of crampy. And, and they were every hour or so. Around 10 a.m., uh, I started to feel them more strongly, and I kind of stayed in bed for them. And I was like, "I'll just sleep through them." I was. And sorry, the plan. The plan was just you and your man. Yeah, it was just going to be okay. I needed him to stay with Theo just to keep Theo out of my hair. Mm-hmm. My really only stress was about Theo being in my space when I was trying to birth. So uh, I told Ryan, just like offer me water sometimes, stay with Theo, and if you hear me like giving up just remind me like I might be in transition. That's all I wanted him to do. Those were my three things I asked him to do. So uh, I started to have those sensations in the morning. I was lying in bed through them. And I, every time I got up, they got stronger. And so I was like, all right, if I want to meet my baby, I just need to get up and like go into the pain and not be afraid to get things going. So um, I had no sense of time after this. I remember not wanting anyone to know I was in labor. I just didn't want that like nervous energy out in the universe. I just wanted to tell people when there was a baby and that was it. But I ended up having to have Ryan text my boss to tell them I was in labor so that they knew I wasn't at work. So um, that was it. We didn't tell our families or anything that I was in labor. So um, I didn't, never checked myself. I don't even know how to check myself. I never crossed my mind to like see how dilated I was. I just remember the contractions getting stronger and stronger and I would kind of just walk around the apartment. Every time a wave came, I would stop and hold onto a table or the sink or whatever and just kind of sway my hips and count. And that's how I got through it. And at one point, Ryan took Theo to the park and I turned on uh, Yolande and her like little sing-song voice. There was like a meditation track or, or an affirmation track on the uh, Complete Guide to Free Birth course that I bought. And I played that for a little bit and just tried to get in a zone. And um, around one... Around 1 p.m. she was born. So it was about four hours of active labor. But the last handful of contractions that I had before she was born were like incredibly intense. Like I didn't even know that a body could feel that type of sensation. It was so ridiculously different from the sensations I had with Theo. There was I had no control and it it made me feel kind of panicky, not scared, but Mm -hmm. the last couple of contractions were like... um, it was like being on a roller coaster and like not knowing what's going to happen next. I was like, I don't have any control over my body and I didn't recognize what was going on. And it made me feel a little panicky. So at that point I was making these noises and I was like looking out to the sunny afternoon out of our bathroom window. And I was like, our neighbors definitely think I'm crazy. Like I'm being so loud. None of them said anything, but um, I definitely felt like those last few contractions were like something I'd never felt before. And I guess that's what FER is. Like, you know, when the, she was just coming out, whether I liked it or not. And I think that panicky feeling came from me being like, I'm not ready. Like, uh, it's happening too fast. And I didn't, yeah. I wasn't ready for her to come out yet, but she was coming no matter what. And so I was just along for the ride. Um, mm-hmm. During one of those last few contractions, though, I did intuitively kind of like feel down in my vagina area, which, I never thought about doing beforehand. I guess I'm kind of squeamish. Like I'm not that type of girl to like have a mirror down there and watch everything going on. I like, no, I'm, I wouldn't think to do that. But I kind of felt down there and I felt like this gooey stuff when I saw my mucus mucus plug. So I just kind of uh, wiped it off in the sink and then half my water broke, I would say. Because then another big 
water gush came in the next push. Both my pregnancies based, my water broke like right towards the end. So um, the water was clear. I remember thinking that was good. And then the next contraction, her head was starting to come out. And Ryan had opened the bathroom door and he was like, are you good? And I was like, yeah, there's just like a head coming out of my vagina. She's going to be born soon. I knew she was a girl. I knew both babies were the genders they were for some reason, like without a doubt. So um, her head was coming out. I could feel the hair. And the next big wave, uh, she came right out. It took like a little bit of a conscious effort for me to push a little bit. And her whole body came out. Um, Then I got in the tub. She was crying. She was perfect. She was like pink and... Uh, crying right away. Her little umbilical cord was wrapped around her like a beauty queen sash. I kind of just like unwrapped it and held her to me. And I got in the tub and held her close to me and Ryan and Theo came in because he could hear the baby crying. And he looked at me uh, kind of like concerned and he was like, are you good? And I was like, yeah, why? And he was like, there's a lot of blood on the ground. And I looked over and there was a pretty big pile of blood or puddle of blood. And, um, there was also like a pile, what I know now was meconium, but he was like, well, what's that? And I didn't know what it was. So I was just like, uh, it's just a blood clot. And I said it like really nonchalantly because I just wanted to think it was not a big deal. I didn't want to get in my own head about it because I know blood clots are not supposed to be that big. And um, I just like didn't want to... I was shaking. So I didn't want to start to think I was hemorrhaging or I didn't want to like get in my own head after having such a perfect birth. And now I'm going to start to overthink everything. So... I wasn't comfortable in the tub. He put a pad down on the bed. I went and laid down and um, we called this woman, Terry, who I met through the private membership. Another Philly girl that was in the private membership put me in touch with her. And she's not a midwife. She's just a lady who like attends people's births sometimes. And she came over like an hour after Octavia was born. And uh, my placenta came out like right before she got there. And she was like, oh yeah, that's a normal amount of blood. I guess I'm just not used to seeing blood. So I thought it was like a crazy amount. And she was like, that's meconium. And um, I was like, all right, great. And then for some reason, I was worried about my placenta being... I had never felt a placenta before. My last one, I didn't even see it like that I can remember. And she was like, no, perfect placenta. Everything looks great. Uh, your baby's pretty big. But other than that... And I was like, to me, she looked so little compared to my two-year-old. I was like, this is the tiniest baby I've ever seen. What do you mean? And she weighed her and she was nine pounds, one ounce. Um, she said I looked fine. I had like a very tiny superficial tear and I didn't need to do anything about it. Um, the only thing I would say, that's kind of it. She came in and checked and left. And that's, so she basically, she came in and made me feel better about, about everything. She didn't touch my baby. I placed the baby in the weight thing and she kind of just held it up and um, she wasn't going to check me. I asked her to, and she, she just did what I asked her to do and then left. That was literally it. She asked if she could do anything else. And I was like, nah, she just left. Um, and the only thing after I had Octavia that caught me off guard was the afterbirth pains. Like it, they were, they were like active labor contractions. I couldn't talk through them and it kind of, um, I couldn't really enjoy my time with the baby because they were so bad. And I, nobody told me about that. And I was just like, I didn't have that with Theo. And, um, I just remember feeling so frustrated. Like I hadn't resisted any of the pain in my labor with her. I just remember, I, I remember dreading, especially those last few contractions, like waiting for them to come and like dreading them, but knowing I was just going to go into it full force and um, like let it destroy me. And I was like prepared for that during labor after I had her and the pain was still that bad. And I just remember, yeah, I was just like, this should not be this way. I'm now I'm resisting it. And I think that made it worse, but I was so mad that I was still in pain after I had her yeah. and they lasted for like two days, the two or two days or maybe almost three. Um, that was the only thing that I really was not great about her birth. <laughs> really made me mad. Yeah. But hopefully next time I'll know how to prepare for that. I think there are some like tinctures that you could try. So I'll try and be, you know, mm-hmm. more prepared for that next time. But they both breastfed like immediately. Um, I've really had like a really easy road with breastfeeding. I've never, I sometimes feel bad for saying that, but like I never have had an issue with breastfeeding. Uh, I'm still breastfeeding both of them. And it's kind of my only tool when they're upset. So when I'm not breastfeeding, I don't know what I'm going to do. But for now, it's been great. <laughs> I totally had that thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just very boring, uneventful birth. And uh, it, I feel like it was the most straightforward birth I could possibly have had. And it doesn't sound like an exciting story, but I'm happy for all the rest of my births to go that way too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Simple's good. You know, we need to like undramatize birth when we can 
there's uh, plenty of dramatic birth stories and those are interesting in a, in a different way. But I think a, a pretty straightforward free birth story is like incredibly important to also talk about so that women know that that can be there. And it like opens up the, it creates the possibility for other women when they know that this is a story that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shy Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start.